Welcome to the EFCA West podcast. I'm Tim Jacobs, District Superintendent of EFCA West and your host for today's podcast. Our subject today is the violence on Capitol Hill, the storming of the Capitol building, and all of the craziness that we saw in the news, and of course, how that relates to evangelicalism, Christianity, the church, leadership, and EFCA, and of course, you. But before we talk about that, listen, you got to register for the EFCA West virtual conference coming up January 27th and 28th. Have you done that yet? It's so easy. All you got to do is you got to go to EFCAWest2021.com and check this out. You know how much it costs? It's free. It's free because we love you. It's free because it's virtual. It's free because there are no box lunches. There are no hotels. There are, there's no swag really. Well, actually, I think we may have a little bit of swag, but we, we're, we're getting some confirmation on that. But listen, I got, I got a sneak peek on some of these videos. We have some amazing presenters, Larry Osborne, Ricky Jenkins, Kevin Complin, Katie Dudgeon, Alex Rivero. I'm in there too, but it's, they're still going to be good. And then we got Zoom workshops that are designed to help you get better at leading through this new season. That's why we're basically calling it. It's a new season. It's a new season for EFCA West. It's a new season for you, for your family, for your community, and absolutely for your church. So we want to help you and be there for you. And so, by the way, have you gone to YouTube as well? Because we have our EFCA West YouTube channel. We have all kinds of content. We have our most recent Wednesday workshop that you can watch. It was so good because it wasn't just me talking. It was all. It was so many pastors from our district just talking about where do we go now. But what was amazing about that conversation was it was like literally an hour before things went crazy on Capitol Hill. And so that's why we're talking today. And I am so fired up because I have as my guest on the EFCA West podcast today, Pastor Bill Rydell. Now, Bill started an EFCA church called Redemption Church in Washington, D.C., inside the Beltway, as they say. And so he got a front row seat to all that happened. And so I want to talk to him. But even more than that, I want to talk to Bill about just he's a great thinker um I, I he's he he understands culture he understands theology he under he gets the mission and so bill thanks so much for being here today brother yeah i'm glad to be with you tim you know i we've we've met like once or twice the the only memory i have of of you of being around you is unfortunately is at denny's in <laughs> in minneapolis in, in the parking lot of the home office yes yeah, that was my first time at the home office. <laughs> well, there you go. And there's nothing like Denny's to to welcome you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and it's one of those, you know, I don't you know, Denny's is fine. It's a fine establishment, but but when it's really cold, Denny's is a good place to go. Yeah. Yeah, you know, cheap watery coffee and <laughs> Yeah. It just it feels good on a cold day, but I remember I hung out with you there for a little bit. But you're also on the board of, of Evangelical Free Church of America as well. And so I just, before we get into all this stuff, can you just give us like a little bit of your background? Like, I mean, you, you, you're not originally from D.C., I don't think, but you planted a church there. Just walk us through a little bit of your journey. Yeah, I grew up in the Chicago area and so bounced around a lot as a kid, but uh, mostly around Chicago. 
Um, I'm a grad of Trinity in undergrad and seminary, and um, my came, really kind of came into the free church in middle school and high school is when we first started going to church consistently as a family. And so since then, I was in an EFCA church, went to Trinity, graduated out. I served a church um, and as an intern, half-time um, unpaid for seven years through undergrad and seminary. And then um, my first full-time calling as a pastor was at Faith Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, which has hosted a couple of theology conferences. The one on eschatology was hosted there, which was really good um, when we were reviewing the Statement of Faith. Um, in 2010 is when, so now 10 years, or now I guess 11 years ago, um, 2010, we moved back to the Chicago area and we're trying to figure out what was next. And um, God called us to plant here in D.C. And so we were sent out from a church called Cornerstone in Annandale, Virginia. Bill Kynes is the pastor there. And um, and 10 years ago, this past summer, moved into D.C. We live on Capitol Hill, and so this has been our home for 10 years, and or 10 and a half. And um, yeah, in 2011, August 2011 is when Redemption Hill Church was born, and we celebrate as our official start date. And so this is we're headed up to our 10-year anniversary this this fall, Lord willing. Um, and we've over that time we've seen a church planted. We also have been a part of planting churches in, locally and internationally, and so we've planted helped plant churches in Mexico City and Belfast. We're working with a church planter that's EFCA church planter in the South Bronx right now, and um, and also in the DC metro area. So we're right on Capitol Hill. The, we've met in a historic black church for the entire history of our church and share that facility. Um, and so it's it was founded in 1838 and the building we meet in was built in 1870 and it's beautiful and a part of the African-American Heritage Trail in DC. And it is four blocks from the Capitol Dome, which as of this morning, the security perimeter on the Capitol, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, was extended to 6th Street which means that we cannot access our church building um, this weekend. They still let me in by foot today through the security checkpoint, but they can't guarantee that through the weekend. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so to bring you right up to today, there's <laughs> that happened this morning. Yeah. And, and you're, you're right in the middle of it. And yeah. so, but, but doing ministry in the beltway, I mean, it's, it's interesting because you know, you've lived outside, now you live inside. The vast majority of us live outside of it, and we see it as a different world. Can you just give us like a a little bit of a, a, a picture of, of what what is it like doing ministry, even without all this stuff, just in general, in, in, in the Beltway? Yeah. So growing up in Chicago, um, at least where, like, the family and friends around us, we... Uh, Nobody really talked much about politics or cared much about politics. Um, I think part of that is because it's Chicago, <laughs> and, and so politics is kind of dirty, and um, and we all knew that. And so moving into DC, and it was a steep learning curve for me to learn um, a politicized language and to learn to be more discerning and careful. And early on, it was there was a lot to learn for me. But I think in some ways. Um, because I didn't have as much of a political background, it actually has freed me to be a better pastor and a more prophetic voice in our city. Um, and our church, and this isn't true of every church in D.C., it's it's actually, I don't, well, I think this is too rare in general. 
Um, the one area of diversity that I don't hear people talk about very much is political diversity. And hmm. um, by God's grace, and we've worked hard for it and taken our lumps for it, by God's grace, we have an extraordinarily diverse church in political ideology. And so we have people that are together in community groups that are working for the administration, the outgoing administration, and working for the ACLU. And um, and so our, our church is incredibly diverse, and it's something that we didn't shy away from from the beginning. And for the last 10 years, even as I've been on a learning curve, our church has developed this and seen something really beautiful produced. And so... Um, so it is different living inside of DC, but not always as in the ways that people expect. Um, I think that here, DC is a very ideological city. And um, I think that it, we, we really come back to, I come back to over and over again, that um, Acts 17 has been really helpful in shaping our approach to ministry here. Because in Acts, when, when Paul is in Athens, I really believe that DC is our country's Athens. It's It looks like it, the monuments look like it. Um, with all the the pillars and architecture, we and um, we and, I mean the Lincoln Memorial calls itself a temple <laughs> in the inscription mm-hmm. above Lincoln's head, and mm-hmm. the the painting on the underside of the Capitol Rotunda is called the Apotheosis of Washington, <laughs> the lifting up to be God of George Washington, and it's him in his military coat surrounded by women in togas. It's I mean mm-hmm. when you look at the symbolism, it's really kind of amazing. Um, but DC is a very ideological city. And so when you see Paul in the marketplace in Acts 17, um, dialoguing in language that's used about Socrates in Athens, entering into dialogue with people in the marketplace, learning from philosophers and different philosophical schools and presenting his ideas. And the Athenians spent time doing nothing other than discussing the latest ideas. That's my city. And, um, and so here, it's that's a uniqueness here is, is that people are very ideologically driven, and that means that there's an openness and a curiosity about worldview and the way people think and what people believe that may be more limited in other places. Um, and so there's opportunities there, but and it creates an environment where people from across political spectrum from different faith backgrounds, we're all kind of thrown into the same place. And so you have to figure out how to interact with each other. Yeah. So, no, and I, I, that's so interesting to me. And I, the way that you even relate that and understand it, and have done that kind of exegetical work of your city to understand the, the even the way it considers itself. So, so, and I, and I want to get back to a lot of that because I there there's a, a lot of questions, and I think you can be very instructive to us about how to how we should see some of these things. But let's go back. I mean, let's dive into this thing. What so what happened last Wednesday? I mean, you you you're there. You're you're in the middle of it. And and uh, by the way, I should say you did write. You work with Acts twenty nine as well. You're part of Acts twenty nine, and you wrote an article yeah. that was published on the Acts twenty nine website. All of a sudden, you're like you're in. I mean, you were in, you were in demand before, but now you're like in really high demand because you right, everybody <laughs> right, wants to by, talk by, to you by proximity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so tell so so. But you were. I mean, you were. Yeah. When I say when I say you were there, like you weren't there next to the dude with the horns. That, Correct. Right. You were in the proximity. Let's just keep that uh, clear. So what happened yeah. last Wednesday? Yeah. Well, and even to be clear on that, like, yeah, our, I mean, I mentioned the church building that we meet in is four blocks from the Capitol. Wow. My house is basically on, I mean, it, it's at an intersection of Pennsylvania Avenue. And so you can see the Capitol dome when I walk out my front door. 
Um, wow. Our church, probably two thirds of our people can walk to where, where we worship. And then the other third, you know, third to 40, 30 to 40% of people are kind of scattered throughout in DC and more broadly, some from Maryland or Virginia inside the beltway. But, but I mean, you know, most of our people are located within walking distance of the United States Capitol. And this is our, it's our home. It's, we, we, I mean, people walk and spend time in the Capitol Plaza and the National Mall. This is, this is home for us. Um, our people, we, I mean, it's not everybody works in government, but we do have more than our fair share, more than most people that do. Um, and so we have Senate and House staffers and people that work in as, you know, legislative attorneys for the Library of Congress and um, Capitol Police that are members of our church. Um, so our people were really, we, we really are in the middle of it for sure. Um, and I've, I've said elsewhere that I, I think I've always kind of expected when you, when you live here, there's like a trade-off that there's beauty and there's access. And also we know that if something goes down, we're also going to have a target on us because we're, we can walk to the Capitol building. And so I think I've always thought like, well, there, there'll probably be points where I'm checking in on members of our church because something ugly has happened but I never imagined that it would be what happened. Mm. And, um, mm. and so our, our, our member who's in the Capitol police said that she has never feared for her life before that did before last Wednesday, um, before the uh, January 6th. And I think that even over the last week, as more and more clarity has come out about what, what, what happened, the more horrific it becomes. Um, wow. and, and so it's, it's hard to even know how to have language to talk about things because then there's all kinds of conspiracy theories that are going out and all kinds of misinformation and people get very touchy about how things are talked about. But, but I mean, what happened last when on January 6th is that a group of people stormed the United States Capitol and tried to stop a joint session of the United States Congress and with violent means. And every indication is that they were stopped from perpetuating what some of the worst intent was. Um, that there were, they were, I mean, there were people chanting to hang Mike Pence, the vice president, as he was presiding over a joint session. And thank God that, and, and the, you, know, you get into things like calls for the National Guard were ignored and delayed. And and so the Capitol Police were really hung out to dry and people, and there's investigations into some images that look like there was collaboration that way. And it, it just, it, it's, I think we're still untangling the depths of everything. And so um, I want to be careful in how I, I talk about things, but also be clear that that what we saw was, it's hard to not call it an insurrection, that it, what we saw was an attempt to stop the United States Congress from doing their duty in certifying a presidential election. And it was by violent means. That doesn't mean that everybody on the grounds would have that intent, but that intent certainly was there. Um, and, and we've never seen, I mean, somebody pointed out that, um, that the Confederate battle flag was never raised in the United mm -hmm. States Capitol during mm -hmm. the civil war. And on January 6th, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. American flags were taken down so that the flags with an individual's name could be raised in their place. And we need to take a wide eyed look at what happened and be very clear about it. You're absolutely right about that. And what's interesting about it to me was, 
you know, when when the riots and protests and looting and destruction that happened throughout the summer, um, and and that was terrible. And you know, there was a there was a whole separate issue, but there was something about there's something about the sanctity of our federal building that we all recognize. Like when that when that happened, like you said, you saw the image of the Confederate flag. You you know the guy sitting in Pelosi's office with his feet up on the desk. And you don't have to be a friend of Pelosi to sit there and go, that's just, if you don't, if you can't look at that and think that that is just absolutely 100% wrong, there is something really wrong with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and there was, there was a violation of, uh, there was a, it was, our country was violated by these people. And, and, and I appreciate the fact that you're quick to point out that it wasn't, it wasn't everybody obviously, but it was more than just, oh, they just went, oh, there's an open door here. Let's just go in and see what we're going to find that. And that is coming out right now. And, and I, and I, so you're, I, I appreciate your, your synopsis of this. Cause it's a, it, we are getting a proper characterization of the seriousness of what went on. And it speaks to some really deep seated stuff going on in our country. Yeah. Yeah. There, we are dealing with some, I mean, to use theological language that I think is fully is necessary, not even like fully acceptable, but necessary right now. We are dealing with historic powers and principalities that have been present in this nation that are being exposed. I don't think what we're dealing with is new or fresh, and I don't think that it's mere merely partisan. I think that we're but what we saw, we need to call out. And with the stuff that happened this summer, you're right. It's it's different to see an apple store looted, which is wrong. It's, but it's different to see an Apple store looted versus the United States Capitol sacked. Those are different issues. I want to, cause I think that's important to like, what, and I'll just tell you my, my response to it. Cause when I saw the stuff going on last summer, you know, and, and, and I, and I do think that there was some, you know, it's like, well, when you, when it's done in the name of one political cause, then the people that are aligned with that political cause go, well, Hey, come on, people are going to get mad. And that's what people do. And it's a pandemic. And, you know, it, this is just people acting out of their frustrations. And, and so you kind of saw this dismissive attitude towards it. And at the same time, there was people calling for like collective repentance on the part of many people who, you know, said, hey, well, we got to listen to these people and realize that what they're doing, you know, uh, we have to acknowledge our own complicity and why people are getting so upset about this kind of thing. And, and honestly, for me, Bill, like, when I like, I was like, no, I don't, I, 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 I collective repentance scares me because in a lot of ways, like that concept, when we throw that around. And so I was kind of like, no, I, I don't actually feel like, I know I'm not a perfect guy, but, but I know who I am and I know where I've grown up and the things I've lived through and how I, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to take a, I'm not going to share in the blame of that. Like, I don't sense that. But you know what's interesting is when when this happened in Capitol Hill, that was the first time that I did go, okay, hang on a second. These are people that quite frankly align with my values, a lot of them, my yeah. views. And that's where I went, whoa, 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 hang on. Without the gospel and without actually being really educated well in the gospel, and and not so much educated is the wrong word, but 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 believing it and holding to it, those are my values. I'm four or five steps away from being there in that Capitol. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing that kind of freaked me out. Cause I'm like, put me in the wrong place at the wrong time with that mob mentality without the wisdom that I've had and the opportunities I've had to be able to see the gospel for what it is and be able to separate the gospel from nationalism. I, I, I'm not that far. And, and what's the scary thing Bill, is like, you're seeing 
the people that are kind of coming forward saying, yeah, I was part of it. I'm really sorry. And, and they're not, they're not, I mean, they're not criminals necessarily. They're not the, they're not the stereotypical. These are like CEOs and service members and police and, and, you know, software engineers. And it's like, what in the world? Yeah. Well, and the reality that the Joint Chiefs had to put out a statement and felt compelled to put out a statement to the American military to remind active service members Mm -hmm. of their oath to the Constitution. Yeah. Speaks to the depth of what's happening and the and the the risk, the the tenuous place we're in, the fragile place that we're in. Um, Yeah, I this and this gets to I mean, the issue that I know, I know people get picky in, about language and nuance. And so I think we have to be careful about defining our terms, but, but yeah, but you're touching on the reality on this too, that even if people aren't p- politically conservative by their bent and don't share some of what the crowds on the, on the sixth were, were upset about as Christians, we can't ignore that there were Jesus 2020 banners and his flags that said Jesus and shirts that said, you know, guns, Jesus and Trump. And mm-hmm. we, that, that there were, there were Christian undertones and, and Christian pastors offering prayers at the, at the rally that, that marched to the Capitol. And, and we need to be able to talk about and, and not ex- just explain away the impact that of Christian nationalism. Yeah. This is something that we've had to discuss in our church. Again, we, we are very politically diverse. I feel like sometimes that gets dismissed. Like maybe that means we're just centrist and don't and apolitical, and that's not what it means. I mean, we have people working and passionate about politics. And as a pastor, I have to be careful to try to equip people to say we need Christians who are Democrats and we need Christians who are Republicans and we need Christians who are involved in our government and and passionate about what they're doing to bring the values of the gospel to bear in their work. Um, And, but in that too, to try to define that there is, there is a difference between, between patriotism and a love of country, which can be good. It can become idolatrous, but it can't, that can be a good thing. There's a difference between patriotism and wanting to see the good of our nation and equating our nation with God's kingdom as if God's kingdom is reliant on the what happens in the United States or a single election or a political party, particularly when it, when it, when we tie God's kingdom to a political party within our nation, now we're really on the doorstep of of open idolatry. And what we've seen develop that that at this point, and I think that we can get into the whataboutism, but right now it's not going to be helpful. Like you said, like we could talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, what happened in the summer. We could talk about critical race theory. We could talk about all kinds of other issues when the reality is within most of EFCA churches, those things are out there. And those that makes it easier for people to be concerned about what's out there. And this gets much more sensitive because for a lot of EFCA churches, this is more internal and it's, it's developed in house. You, yes, yes. And in fact, I would go so far to say that the challenge of the next decade for EFCA pastors is going to be untangling the gospel from right-wing nationalism. Yeah. 
And I say that as a guy on the right, I'm, I'm just, I'm honest. Like I, I'm a, I'm a believer in limited government and lower taxes and individual freedom. I'm concerned about religious liberty, all that kind of stuff. I don't like the moral decay. I, I, I drank that Kool-Aid in a lot of ways in terms of that's my values. But again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, kind of like that sense of, oh my gosh, you let this go on and on. This is what you're going to get. You're going to get crazies at the, at the, on the steps of the Capitol going into the Capitol building and and it's it's in our camp, yeah. It's in our camp. And now, so Bill, tell me, because talk to me about this, because I I think it's going to require a tremendous amount of courage on the part of our pastors to call this out. More courage than it would take to call out problems on the left. Am I wrong? No, I think you're. I think by and large, you're right. I think. Um, and I again, like you said, we're, we the stuff that we've had to cultivate because I'm on. Capitol Hill. I live on Capitol Hill. My neighborhood is Capitol Hill, DC. <laughs> in the Electoral College, we went 94% blue. So like that's I'm in a different context than most DFCA churches. And I I know that and see that. But I think you're right. And I think you're right to say the next decade. Um, this is not a quick fix. This is not, there's not a think piece that can be published that's going to convince everybody on this. We are again, I think we're dealing with things that are rooted for generations and that um and so it's it's going to be difficult. But I don't think we should ever be hesitant to call out idolatry. That's if that's what we're dealing with. We should never be hesitant to call out cults of personality just because they happen to be politically aligned with where our sensibilities lie. Um, that's I mean, this is we, we know that Peter tells us that judgment begins in the household of God. And we should never be surprised when we see that kind of sifting. And I think you're right. We've got if there's hope for us, we I hope we're in a time where we're seeing sifting and pruning in the church because it'll it, because I think our witness is contingent on it. And that's a real that's an important distinction that I that I want to draw out because I think this gets to something that I, I believe has actually led us to this point is I think we have been too quick to identify things and movements and ideas and protests and organizations as threats to the gospel. And we, theologically, we can't say that. The gospel is good news of what Christ has accomplished, that he lived a sinless life, died in our place for our sin, was resurrected, ascended to the throne, and is returning, and that we are citizens of a different kingdom that changes all of our lives, and that all things are going to be renewed and restored for the sake of his glory. There is no threat to that. There's no threat to the gospel. There's no threat to the kingdom of God. There, that doesn't exist. And, you know, Jesus told us he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and nor will Christian nationalism or liberalism, or conservatism, or socialism, those things won't stop the advance of the kingdom. But what we're dealing with right now that I'm convinced of, and I think that you're that you're saying, Tim, that, and I agree with, is that as Christians, because this is, I mean, it, it, let's, again, let's, let's realize, every news article I pull up right now is talking about the role of white evangelicalism in what happened at the Capitol. And we could quibble about what, how much that's accurate, but I don't think it's helpful to. That, the reality is that is out there. And and it, rather than trying to say, like, hold on, hold on, hold on, was everybody in that building a white evangelical? Well, no, of course they weren't. But there's enough of an alignment with and an assumption of, of that direction that, that as Christians, our, our witness 
and credibility are on the line. Our witness to the gospel and our witness to the beauty and the power of the gospel are at stake. And so the gospel itself isn't at stake. It's good and true and beautiful and nothing can, can tarnish that and take Jesus off the throne. But our ability to witness truly and, and show the truth and grace and beauty of the gospel, that is at stake right now. And our best move would be to acknowledge it, see what we what is contrary to it, and lead the way in repentance. See, and I feel like it's what's going to be so difficult about this effort is it's the whole, you know, trying to convince a fish that they're living in a fishbowl, you know, like this right. is all they know. And because they, they, they see it one and the same. And I, and I do, I think historically, I think we, you know, this is my theory um, and I'm not an expert or anything, but when you look at 9-11, when 9-11 happened, there was, it was an attack against the United States by Islamic terrorists, but it was not just an attack against the United States politically. It was an attack against the West. It was an attack against Christianity. I mean, it was an attack against everything that we are is what is how we interpret it. And as I, I think because Islamic thought is not, they don't separate politics from religion. They just thought we're going to go after the West. And so our response was we had this moral clarity. I mean, I remember it was so morally clear at the time. These guys are an existential threat. They're trying to kill us. They hate us. They're wrong. They subjugate women. They do all these terrible things and whatever. And they were beheading people. Let's go get them. And so there was this alignment with the military and and the cause of freedom and the West and therefore Christianity that all kind of blended together in this really palatable combination of this massive show of force. And to me, it was, it was the closest thing that we, that we, you could have to a holy war that really made sense for us at the time. And, and so the reason I bring that up, and by the way, I'm not, I mean, I'm a member, I'm a, I'm a, a a chaplain in the U S air force reserve. I mean, I wear the uniform, I serve in the military, but I think what's important about that is that we, um, this is the water we've been swimming in for like 20 years now and people have grown up in and just merged together. Now it was present before it was definitely present before, but it was like accelerated and almost exonerated at that time. Like this is it. Right. And, and, and so now here we are and like the, the, the landscape has shifted. It's, it's changed now. And it's like, wait a second. The, and this is what I feel like, um, people don't really in our churches don't really understand. They, they think that they need to talk to people on opposing sides of the political spectrum or, you know, and, and then, and non-believers and they go, well, we got to get them. We got to, we got to fight them. And it's like, no, you have to speak to them as though you're a missionary going to a foreign land. They don't see that. But I think, I think it's, I think we do, we almost need to exegete our own Christian culture for a minute and go, how did we get here? And we didn't yeah. get here because we have a bunch of people that just don't care or they're jerks or whatever else. It's like, this is what we've been bathing in for a long time. And it's kind of misled us again what what are your thoughts on that oh i think it goes back even farther i mean that's how we've been we are in a nation that i mean you could go back to the puritans and say Mm -hmm. the entire concept of trying to set up a new place and a new and new colonies as a city on the hill that will bring that will bring the return of christ has set us up from the beginning to be steeped in an idea that the United States of America is somehow uniquely an, an actor of and an extender of God's kingdom. And that is, so it has been, it has been steeped into our national identity. 
And so, to, and so it's, it's no surprise that this is an issue in the church. And it was, these are, these are themes that we saw even, even through the civil war. I mean, you read the, the language of what was used to help prop up the institution of slavery. And it was churches that were, and Christians that were complicit in, mm-hmm. in that institution. And I mean, you read the, the read Lincoln's second inaugural address, it's powerful. And it's, it is steeped in biblical language about about the two sides approaching an almighty God crying out for justice when none, neither could be satisfied fully. Um, but then him also saying that he can't, that, that it's, how could God justify people that wring their bread from the sweat of other men's faces? Like he's, he's using language of the fall and, and, and biblical language to explain and understand what's happening in, in a national scale. And, and so that intermingling intertangling is deeply, deeply seated in our churches mm. and to untangle that and say, and, and to say, you know, it's, it's good for Christians to live as citizens of Christ's kingdom who seek, you know, like Jeremiah 29, who are in exile seeking the good and the welfare of the city where God has placed us is one thing. It's entirely another thing for Christians to strive for and grasp for political power or cultural influence as if that is a one-to-one correlation with what we're called to in following Jesus when the New Testament, that is that is absent from what anything that we see the church called to. Yeah, and we're it's hard because we're living in a time that is so different. I mean, we have 2,000 years of history with the with the Renaissance and the Enlightenment and, and you know, Constantine and all this stuff in our history. So it's hard to relate back to some of that. But there are those who, too, would say, well, hey, you know what? It's actually a good thing if Christians lose their position of influence because, you know, Christianity always works well when it's persecuted. And, and I, I'd step back a little bit from that and go, wait a second. You know, you talk to people that were really in persecuted countries. I don't, I, I mean, they might say, yeah, it was great that the gospel went forward, but I'm not really sure I that's a preferable future either, right? Yeah. So... Right. You know, I yeah. mean, see, what I've said is, is Christianity did not, America did not build Christianity. Christianity, the thinking, the thought, the essence, that's what built America. And so I, I see Christians trying to say, well, we need to salvage America so we can salvage Christianity. And I, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I think if we worry about people understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ, America's got nothing to worry about. Yeah, yeah, and and you're right, and and you're right to go back. I mean, yeah, we go back past the founding of this country and go back to Constantine and and the difficulty of the first time that the church was ever aligned with the state and and whether that was actually good, and that raises whole its own, yeah. own discussion. Right. But I think you're I think you're you're right there, and that um, I mean, I would say, listen, I I hope I don't see the fall of the United States of America. I hope I don't see a civil war. I hope I don't have to live through those times. And I don't think that it's right to long for that. I think that's immature and and probably a. a it just seems like a, a a perspective that isn't isn't looking at things well holistically. Because we should again long for and work for the good of where God has put us. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. What we need to be careful about is to say, okay. Um, if if the United States does fall, if we do do go into another civil war again, the kingdom of God has not been changed. It hasn't, it's not going to surprise God that the triune God isn't calling conferences, Father, Son, and Spirit right now, wringing their hands about what are we going to do about what's happening mm. in DC. And it, that that God is sovereign. He he knows all things. He is Jesus is on the throne. And and all that should inform how 
how we live and how we engage and how we and and the and seeking good you know justice and mercy and in being involved in in seeing the good for the most people like that's that's what christian politic political engagement needs to be about is what can we do that's going to love our neighbor best that's what we're called to is to love god and love our neighbor and so yeah christians should be engaged in what is going to be the most loving thing that's going to do the most good for the most people yes and amen but that conflation of this is the way that god's kingdom must work out is when it it's turned to idolatry yeah and i love the fact that you keep using the word idolatry because that we have to call it out that is what it is I, when I get the opportunity to preach in churches in our district, um, on many occasions, I mean, and I'll try to do it in a very winsome, you know, non-threatening way. But I go, hey, listen, if you really had to choose, would you, would if would you really had to choose one or the other, would you convert your neighbor to Christianity or to your political party? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I yeah. don't, I don't, I think that question really confuses a lot of people. Like, well, what do you mean? Yeah. It's like you know. Yeah. Well, and that's where I think even there's so there, people get our, I think Christian nationalism is the right term. And I think, but mm-hmm. I know that people are yeah, like, are, that's making some people hold back a little bit. And so that's why I keep using theological language of idolatry. Because even in my church, we've had, um, we had a, a member who reached out to us and said, hey, you've been calling this out. And again, for us in, because we're on Capitol Hill, discussing politics and discussing idolatry is nothing new for us. We've been doing this for 10 years mm-hmm. and I know that's not the context for, for many people. Um, but, but even there we had somebody reach out and say, Hey, you know, I, I think I'm a Christian nationalist. And we had to say like, hold on, let's, let's talk. What do you, what do you mean by that? Uh-huh. And what he meant by that was, well, I really love my country and I want to see good things for it. And we were able to say, Hey, that's different than holding up the, you know, do you, are you saying that, a certain partisan end or political end is equated with the advancement of God's kingdom. Mm. Mm. Like, well, no. oh, that's it. That's it right there. That was huge. What you just said. And, and, and being able to clarify you, it's okay to love your country. You know, I think, I think we, I get a little hesitant. I'm, but, but in saying with the word love and, but it's fine. It can be a good thing and we should want the good for our country. Certainly. But, Christian nationalism is when patriotism turns politi- it uses Christianity as a means to political ends uh-huh. rather than saying that we can engage in political means that are informed by the values of the kingdom knowing that the ends we are seeking are the good or the, is the glory of Christ. Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. So it's our gospel that drives our politics, not the politics that drives our our Christianity. Right. In a sense. Right. But but you saying it's the equation too. I think that was the key. It's not, it's not, I mean, look, we, like you said, we need Christians in politics. Politics is important. Yeah. It's in the Bible. There's all kinds of teaching about politics. As long as you have people, you're going to have politics, but it's the equating of our politics with our, with our gospel and the, and the, and the energy and the passion and the commitment that comes equally from both of those. That's a problem. Yeah. And, and I would want to emphasize to people, and I say this to other pastors, and I say it to our church all the time, you cannot be a Christian and be apolitical. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we just, uh, this in January, we started Revelation because, you know, 2020, it feels like everybody's asking if the world's ending. And so <laughs> yeah. we're like, all right, let's just go for it. And so we're walking through <laughs> Revelation right now. Wow. And as soon as you say that Christ ascended, 
and now is seated at the right hand of God the Father at the throne in heaven, reigning and ruling over all things and is returning to make all things new. If you believe that, if you actually believe the gospel, that is a political statement Mm -hmm. because you are saying we have a king, we have a citizenship. And so that is a political statement. The question is, is that the governing reality for your political engagement in the structures of this world? Or like you said, or is it flipped so that our engagement as citizens of Christ's kingdom is shaped by the structures that this world gives us? Um, So we can't avoid politics and we shouldn't avoid politics. But do you think that that a Christian then, if they're doing it, for lack of a better phrase, if they're doing it right, if they're living out the gospel properly, that they're going to feel uncomfortable in both parties? Yeah, I, I think that my hope in as dark as things feel right now, and I, again, right now it feels pretty dark in my neighborhood. <laughs> I know it feels dark everywhere, but but when the security checkpoints for the United States Capitol have extended six blocks beyond it and it engulfs the church that you gather in, mm-hmm. it, it's it feels dark and um but even in the in the midst of that the the hope that i have right now is maybe that we're experiencing a wake-up call that will clarify things and that christians will on on across a political spectrum will take a step back and say hold on Mm -hmm. we we've finally seen things go too far and one of the things that gives me great hope in our church is that we have is what, that I'm seeing our conservatives make clear statements and and with great humility right now um, and repentance. And I'm seeing our progressives respond that aren't you know dancing and celebrating at the downfall of of the right on this particular week, but instead are saying are are using this are seeing a sobering moment to say. This is not limited to one side of the spectrum. Idolatry, political idolatry is tempting across the board. And so if, if Christians aren't sobered by what we're seeing and seeing the alignment of and the, the manipulation of Christian language and symbols for political ends right now, um, I don't, I don't, I mean, that's, I guess that's my hope is that people are seeing the, the, those ends and, and able to take a step back and say, this is, this is wrong and this is not about Jesus. This is not the way of Jesus. Yeah, that is such a good word. And I I would tend to agree with you. I obviously live out, you know, in the flyover country of Phoenix, Arizona, but I sense that I sent I, because, you know, and I, I, and honestly, I guess I, this is just how I perceive things. One of the things that does give me hope, Bill, is that since this has happened, a lot of the people who were involved and even people close to it or or who would align themselves with the values have come out and said, whoa, 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 wait a second. This has gone, this has gone way too far. People that were involved in it said, hey, I, I you know, the, I got caught up in this and, and I apologize. This was not what I intended. And, and it, but what's sad is it goes back to your point that, that there's a spiritual battle going on and it's very possible that these people were very much uh, they they were controlled by this by this spiritual force that that led them astray. They didn't realize how captivated they were by this. Um, you know, there's all kinds of words you can use for it, but the power of Donald Trump and his his rhetoric. And and I'm not saying because because it's Donald Trump. I mean, the guy is a master communicator, and he's very—he's much better than pretty much anybody else. And I think that drove a lot of people crazy on the other side because they would see the effect that he had. 
and people just, it became a substitute God. And I think people are, some people at least are starting to understand that. Yeah. Well, and, and hopefully another reality is we, we can't play around with dark principalities and powers Mm. and think that we're going to be able to control them and put them back away when they've accomplished our ends. And, and as Christians, we, we have to be really careful and, and clear and truthful and, and, but committed ultimately to, to Christ and the gospel. And I think, um, and I think you're again, coming back to what you said about over the next 10 years. And I think that's, that is such the reality is, you know, I've been telling our church, stuff is not magically going to change after Wednesday. We're not, we're not done with this. Like, I think, I mean, I think we're all hoping for a little bit of a breath of fresh air, a little relief, like maybe things will be a little less chaotic. Maybe they will be, but, but the stuff we're dealing with is so deeply rooted. It's not going away anytime soon. And this is a discipleship issue in the church. And because what we, what we saw on January 6th does have roots in the Christian church. The church is the hope only hope we have for seeing any, any progress and movement forward in clarity and truth on this. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I think is difficult within the EFCA is I've talked to, to EFCA pastors. And again, I've been around for a while. I've been, I kind of grew up in the EFCA church, Trinity, like, I, I don't know, kind of like Paul is like, I'm, here's my credentials. I'm a Hebrew, <laughs> the Hebrews circumcising it. I'm like, I am a Trinity <laughs> undergrad graduate. I am a Ted's grad. I am, I'm yeah. a EFCA. I'm, <laughs> like this has been, I've been in these waters a long time, but I think that means that in some ways I'm a little naive to the broader conversation of that people have pegged as evangelicalism because mm-hmm. I'm like, well, wait a second. I think you're mostly talking about another denomination that we won't get into on an EFCA podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and you're talking about a certain region of the country and growing up in Chicago, being in DC now, I'm like, this is, I feel like we should have a voice into what evangelicalism is. It's in our name. Um, and, you know, I was raised on Ted's professors and, Carl Henry's influence and all these things and told that about the story of the rise of evangelicalism in the mid 20th century is a reaction against fundamentalism to show that Mm. good theology should drive us to social engagement, not separation from culture. And, and so that, but we, we also have to acknowledge that that is not the perception right now in our nation. And we're not going to be able to fight those currents right now. And again, that's where I say like our better move is to say, this is not the way of Jesus. And we need to repent of it. And to what you called out collective repentance, I do think there's evidence in, especially in the Old Testament prophets, of being able to call out the sins of our nation, the sin, and for us, the sins of, of the church, and say, we need to repent. You know, I, I am a man of unclean lips that comes from a people of unclean lips. Um, but I think a lot of EFCA pastors, it's, it's not even that they've been ambassadors for Christian nationalism or white supremacy or the alt-right movement. But I think a lot of guys, when I talk to them, say, I just want to see people saved. I just want to preach Jesus. And I wish I didn't have to deal with politics at all. And and don't realize that an unwillingness or inability to engage in what's happening in the political arena has allowed some of this to fester underneath the surface in our churches. Absolutely. And, and I, I, by the way, on the comment about collective repentance, I do agree. I think it is, I think it's in the Bible. I think it's biblical. I think it is appropriate. I think we need to be careful because of our history, especially in the 20th century of 
grouping people in as as you know uh, the reason that we're in the situation is because of these people over here i think collective repentance needs to be authentic and heartfelt and led by the spirit of god and that's why i, I actually was was again i i was surprised at my own feeling on it coming from you know how i didn't really feel it much back in the summer because i was you know for my own reasons which we can talk about but i did absolutely feel it last week when i went wait a second yeah. these are my people yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it was, that was a whole different animal for me, to be honest with you now. Yeah. And, 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 but see what you're, you are hitting on something. I'm so glad I talked to you. You're hitting on something that I think is, I'm seeing this over and over and over again. We as EFCA leaders, I believe, and that's one of the reasons I became district superintendent here and why I accepted the role when they offered it to me is because I believe we have the right ingredients. I love the words evangelical and free because evangelical yeah. is the gospel, is the gospel, and free is is the methodology, is the delivery system, is the is the capability for a guy like Bill to go to, to Capitol Hill and be free by the Spirit of God, not ordered around by somebody in Minneapolis, go here and do this and say this. So there's that wonderful part of it. But what we need right now is we need to speak prophetically, not simply academically, not simply, oh, let's just hope people get saved. But we need to speak prophetically and call this out. So as an example, you know, I looked, I found in when I read Joshua 5, you know, when, when the angel Joshua goes up to the city of Jericho to scout it out, he sees this guy standing with a sword. He goes over to him. He says, hey. Are you with us or with our enemies? And what's his answer? He just says, and I love the ESV because he just says, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. He yeah. says, but I'm commander of the army of the Lord. Take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. In other words, I'm not on your side and I'm not on their side. I'm on my own side. And I yeah. suggest you get on my side too, because my side's the one that prevails. Yeah. Well, that's like Treebeard too, right? In Lord of the Rings. I'm not on <laughs> right. side. No one is altogether on my side. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> biblical truth into some nerd, yeah. nerdery there. No, no, that's um, good. Yeah, I, and I and this is the thing is I think and again I think most EFCA pastors that I talk to and that doesn't mean that we don't have some outliers and I think honestly our denomination probably needs to be clear in addressing some pastors that are ambassadors of these things. Um, but but I, I think by and large the guys I talk to have great hearts and mm-hmm. and I just want to encourage guys to say we need to do the hard work that. No, we shouldn't. I, I'm. I will never pe- preach partisan ends, and I've made that commitment to our church. I will, but I also want to be careful to expose the partisan worldviews and grids of thinking about things, as and to expose and try to get underneath what is the actual truth about issues, so that we can show that the gospel has ends that we pursue in what has been politicized. Mm-hmm. Um, James Davison Hunter, the sociologist at UVA, has said that that politics is always the crudest simplification of public life and the common good is always more complicated than its political expression. And we need to realize that. And I think, um, you know, I've got, well, there's, there's a couple of articles I've written on this, but, but I think what, what we, what we see is that the gospel has been either gutted or truncated um, by Christians in time. And that, you know, if we think about the gospel narrative as creation, fall, redemption, restoration is one grid that people use to understand the big picture gospel story, that there's been a temptation among, among, we can see the temptation that is typically more progressive Christianity to gut the gospel and say, we're going to focus on creation and restoration that we need to restore all things now and that the kingdom of God gets implemented in its fullness now, but we don't want to talk about sin and salvation because that gets too touchy. 
But the, the problem and the temptation of people on the right and more, more evangelical Christianity has been to just preach the center points of repent and be saved. And so we say, I just want to preach Jesus, but we forget that this world was created by God and we're headed toward the restoration of all things. And so mm. there are kingdom implications as we're part of that story of Jesus making all things new and individual salvation is part of it. But the gospel isn't limited to our individual salvation stories. It's, there's a bigger picture that we're engaged in. And so to be able to, to understand and not fall into the traps that we get pushed into that get politically informed on removing emphases that are within the beauty of the gospel, but to be able to say, no, we're, we are gospel people that are about all of it. And that's going to change things for all of us. And back to what you asked a few minutes ago. Yeah. I think that means Christians are politically homeless. And right. Right. Because it, it, and that, that's so important because what you just described, those four things that needs to be our, our, paradigm or our worldview, that needs to be the lens with which we view politics through, not the other way around. And when we do that, we we then put, put ourselves in the position of becoming evaluators of how those political parties are achieving those ends in whatever way. But they're not the ends in of in and of themselves. Our end is what you talked about in Revelation. Our end is the is the is the story of God, not what any political party seeks to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and that doesn't just mean that we remove ourselves from politics. That mm-hmm. means that we can that we should actually be as Christians, we should be freed to engage in politics in a way that's different than everyone else. And so that are if whether you're conservative or progressive, that that Christians should be the, the, the people that are most clearly and incisively able to critique their own side on issues and that's be able right. to show how it falls short and isn't the fullness of the gospel. And that, that that's not going to happen in our political parties. They're not going to be self-critical. But Christians ought to be able, and I tell our people, like this is not saying don't just remove yourself. We need people who are registered in our political parties and are engaged in politics across the aisle so that we see that voice present. Because we don't want to see, I don't, I don't think we want to, and again, does, is the kingdom of God stopped if this happens? No. But I don't want to see the outcomes if Christians are completely removed from the public square. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that means that we're always in control of it in the way that we have assumed it should be. I think that means that we, that it's more subversive than that. I want, mm-hmm. <laughs> I want gospel moles in our political parties mm-hmm. who are subversively engaging in the work, passionate about the things that they're able to uphold, realizing that there's limitations on, on them, that they will never be a full expression of Jesus. Yeah. And so kind of like I heard Ed Stetzer actually get interviewed by Hugh Hewitt, the political commentator Hugh Hewitt this week. And it was a really awesome interview, actually, about his article that he wrote on USA Today about this whole thing. And in the process of that, he talked about as Christians, we, you know, we're not supposed to be Democrats or Republicans, um, liberal or conservative per se. What Rather, our role is to kind of be like an umpire, you know, like, wait, wait a second. That okay. That that was a good call. Wait, that that wasn't so good right there. And and I and I, I do think you know we talk about because I want this to be positive. I, I do agree, Bill. I th- I think that there is hope ahead, 
But I think it 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 does involve a re a re uh, understanding. A re, and I love like like it's well. I always use the title Daryl Gooder, Daryl Gooder's book, the the continuing conversion of the church. You know, it's, the church has got to be continually converted back to the gospel because it gets it strays off into these weird tangents. And to be able to say, wait a second, do you realize you actually have the responsibility to to look at the Republican Party and go, no, 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 guys, that's not that's that is not you can do that, but that's not what I'm about. I'm about the kingdom. Yes. You know, otherwise they lead us. You know, right. and I think the issue with the uh, I think the issue with um, with our pastors. And again, I, I know you want to be careful about that too, is like, I'm not, we're not here tr- tr- trying to beat up our pastors. If anything, I want to empower and give our, feel our, help our pastors feel like they have permission. Like you have yeah. permission to speak into these things you have. It's okay. Don't, th- this is why God's called you to, to, to be that voice that we need right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I, and I hear in my heart, I, it, it breaks as I hear pastors talking about wanting to lead their people well, but feeling like if they're going to, touch or say certain things that people are going to leave. But I think we also need to, to hear the call that as under shepherds, we have a response. We're, we're leading God's people to the, to their end. Like that's what we're doing is, is leading people through dark valleys into Christ's presence. And if Mm -hmm. we don't address idolatry of our people, then we aren't leading them well. And, um, and I, it shouldn't. It, again, though, this is this is something that take. I understand for some churches and pastors, it's going to take time to develop and cultivate. That, but we should never, if we're ever at a point as churches that that our people are surprised by a call to repent, hmm. like that, we, we we've not preached the gospel well to our people. If they come expecting that we're only going to call out the sins of people who aren't present, like I don't I don't understand how that's gospel preaching that. The gospel is innate. I mean, this is Luther, right? The first of the 95 theses that when Jesus said, called us to repentance, he intended that the whole of the Christian life is one of repentance. It should never be hard for a Christian to say, oh, yeah, I think I've got I've got something that I need to deal with in my heart on that. And I need to repent today because we are also told that we have a great high priest who has been tempted in every way as we are we have without sin. So we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace and find grace and mercy in our time of need. So it should never be hard for us to come to come on our knees saying, I I need to repent and I have something that I need to repent of here for the sake of my own soul. Yeah. You know, you're exactly right. And um, that, again, th- this is why I actually, I just can't help but think that there's going to be positive. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to say optimism because optimism, but I'm hopeful. I'm, I always have hope. And I believe that when these kinds of things happen, and, and it's not, I mean, you there's some things you can say, well, we've never been here before. Well, we've been in some pretty bad places. Even evangelicalism has been in some pretty bad places. I mean, I, I have on my book, on my shelf right here, Carl uh, 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 Henry's book, Evangelicalism on the Brink of Crisis. And, and back then, you know, going, what are we going to do? And then it, you know, somehow gets restored. I'm not ready to give up that word. I, I think the no. word is too powerful. I think it's too strong. I think, and I, and I think it can be resurrected or cleaned up or, or renewed, I guess is the better, is the better word, but, but it's, that's going to have to come from us when the media starts undeniably having to report that evangelicalism is the reason why the poor are fed and that babies are taken care of and that, 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 uh, good, that communities are, are reaping the, the beauty of, of families being put back together and all that kind of stuff. The restoration that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's nothing else to report on other than that. You know, when that really starts happening as opposed to the coercion of the co-opting of politics and everything else. Yeah. No, and I think as EFCA pastors, I, for me, 
the name of our denomination is giving me a chance to preach the gospel to my neighbors. Wow, it's cool. Because they know that I'm not what they saw at the Capitol. Because I've been here for a decade. They they know our church. Our church has a reputation in our neighborhood. And when they ask me, are you part of a denomination? I don't, you know, we don't, we're not called Capitol Hill Evangelical Free Church. I don't, we didn't right. go with that name. Smart. Because I think <laughs> it, it wouldn't have, it's not the best idea. No. But I don't hesitate to talk about our denomination. And actually, I use it as an opportunity to say, well, we're called the EFCA, which means evangelical free. And I always tell a little joke. That doesn't mean we're free of evangelicals. <laughs> what it means is that right. we, and, and talk about, there's a theological meaning to the word evangelical, that we are centered on the gospel. This goes back. This is what the reformers called themselves. They didn't call themselves Protestants. They said we are gospel people because we are about the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the mm. center point for, for us. And it gives me a chance to talk about what the gospel is with people and to clarify who we are. And this is the early church. The early church was, they were called cannibals and they were called incestuous and they were blamed for fires in Rome. And and they didn't spend a lot of time shaking their fist at the wicked government above them. Instead, mm. they continued to faithfully work for the good of the cities where God had placed them, and they consistently told a better story than what was being told about them. And so this is the – there's a recent book, the, the Patient Ferment of the Early Church, that I think that we need to recapture some of that idea and that, no, I don't want us to be – I don't actually want us to live in a persecuted stage, and I don't think we're close to that right now. But but we also need to recognize that there's a there's there's lessons we can learn from the church that has suffered more and that has been persecuted and to consistently faithfully do better work and to tell a better story and not get caught up in trying to correct people on what they think they saw happen you know bill i i can't even tell you how how glad i am that we had this chance to talk and i mean you're living it right now I, we, I know we don't, I, I swear I could talk to you for like three hours and there's so many questions I just didn't get to. I, I want to talk to you sometime about the deep state and, and the perspective. Cause I, I have, uh, what I love about what you're doing is, is you, because you live in DC, you're dealing with individual people. And, yeah. and I think that we out in the hinterlands are just as guilty of dehumanizing human beings by labeling these these groups and and whatever else, but that's this different stuff. I wanted to talk. I wanted to talk to you about that. I wanted. To, I mean, there's so many other things I wanted to to. I wanted to talk to you about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I just I, just, I had a whole bunch of things. What's anyway? I don't even want to get into it because I wanted you to whatever. Even if they shut off the podcast right now at your last word, I mean that was that was it. I just want to ask you one final thing though. Um, you because you said something and I didn't want to get lost in everybody, and I didn't repeat it, but but. You said at the very beginning, the, the the right now as we are having this podcast on January fifteenth, two thousand twenty-one, your church is now inside the security barricades of Capitol Hill. What are you going to do on Sunday? Man, we're literally my my phone in front of me is blowing up right now with text messages. We're we're trying to figure that out. We've been limited anyway, and we have chosen to be to to be a part uh, to limiting things with COVID. And so we've been we've been capping one service that's live streamed with only 50 attendees anyway. Um, and but for this weekend, um, I, I spent 15 minutes talking to a police officer at the checkpoint today. They are letting foot traffic through right now, but not any vehicle. And he couldn't guarantee that for Sunday. So we are likely to try to actually, when I get off of this call, go and record a service. And so I'll preach my sermon this afternoon and then stream that on Sunday and not have anybody at the building because there's too much risk. We have credible, I'm being contacted by local government officials 
who are warning of credible threats of violence on Sunday. Wow. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's likely, I think it is too much of a risk that we would put our people in danger, even to have a few there to stream a service live. And so we're likely to record tonight and not be there at all on Sunday. Well, we will be praying for you and, um, man, just, you, you are, you're right in the thick of it. You're leading, you're stepping up, you're, you're, uh, all of your training and all of got what God has put into you is, is prepared you, I think, to be able to handle this moment, to bear the weight of, of these burdens. Um, you've got, if people want to read, you've got this article on Acts 20, on, in, on the Acts 29 website. I was going to even talk to you about that. I didn't even have a chance to talk to you about mm-hmm. that. Um, but I want people to go read that um, the, on go on Acts 29 website, check out your article, uh, f- become friends with you on Facebook. Glad you haven't bailed on Facebook, um, you know, like a lot of people. So you can you can be a presence. You can be a voice there. I think it's important. And um, is there any other place that people can go to, like, you know, read more of your stuff or anything like that? Yeah, I have a number of articles published on the Gospel Coalition as well. Um, there's in particular, there's I have an article on. The, what I talk about, don't gut or, or truncate the gospel, that expands some of those thoughts. I have an article there on um, uh, raising the question, is your church politically diverse? And talking about some of what we've done to cultivate that as a church. So there's some there's some resources on TGC. If you search on my name, they'll come up. Um, awesome. And, and we'll see. I'm working on some other things for the EFCA that I hope come out soon that I'm um, trying really hard to be, and maybe this is good to put this out there now, trying really hard to be careful and theologically driven and centered on the gospel and clear in ways that people can actually hear that will help the conversation not just get shut off. So I'm working on some things, hopefully for the EFCA that will come out soon. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm so grateful that you're in our movement. I'm grateful that you're, you're, you're where you are, you're right where you need to be. And uh, I've learned so much just from talking to you today. So thank you for the, your ministry that you had to our pastors and that you have there in the Beltway and uh, we'll just keep we'll just keep praying. We'll keep standing together, shoulder to shoulder, and and we're just grateful that we can be a part of God's moving God's kingdom, proclaiming God's kingdom, and seeing it move forward uh, as He directs it. So, hey man, thanks so much. Yeah.